Hi, Beth Girl here today with Dr. Casey Blessing, who's a board-certified dermatologist at the Animal Dermatology Clinic. Dr. Blessing, thank you so much for taking the time to do today's Fat Girl podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So if you don't mind, if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself, and then I would love to ask you a ton of questions about food allergies and food trials, just because I uh, made a couple of mistakes, even as a specialist with my own dog. Absolutely. So I did my undergrad at Arizona State, and then I was fortunate enough to go to Tufts University for vet school. And then I did my one-year internship at the VCA West Los Angeles, and then did my residency in dermatology with the Animal Dermatology Clinic in San Diego. And since uh, passing boards about a year ago, I've stayed in San Diego at the Animal Dermatology Clinic. Wonderful. And so I know from my own dog, I have a four-year-old pit bull mix. I was consulting with a dermatologist that I work with at our specialty clinic and ended up putting him on a food trial. And it was actually really interesting. I, I learned a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. So before we begin, I just wanted to pick your brain on, A, what patient population are we seeing it in? Are we seeing it as frequently as veterinarians think, or is it a pretty low percentage, or are we overdiagnosing it? And uh, two, what's the classic signalment you might see for it? Yeah, sure. Great question. So I think in general, if you were going to play your odds, environmental allergies or atopy are way more common than food allergies. But depending on the type of study and research that's done, the percentage of food allergic dogs ranges from anywhere from, you know, five to 45%. So I don't think we really know the true prevalence or how common it really is. I will tell you, at least in the last four years where I've fully been practicing dermatology, I see a lot more food allergies now that I'm looking for it. So I still think there's a lot of undiagnosed food allergic patients, but if you were going to play your odds, environmental allergies are more common, or you have a dog that's more likely food allergic and environmentally allergic, I think it's much more rare to have a solely food allergic dog. It's way more common if you're going to have a food allergic dog that they also have another form of allergy or skin disease and most likely atopy. But you do get the, you know, case where it's solely food allergic. When it comes to kind of signalment of what jumps out in my mind is definitely want to focus on, you know, diet trial and food allergies is typically you think of a dog less than a year of age or kind of over the age of seven, but we've seen it happen at any age. So for dogs less than a year of age, especially um, kind of there's a few key GI signs that I kind of key in on that makes me push food allergies more than environmental allergies. And that's, believe it or not, if they have more than 3.1 bowel movements per day. So any kind of dog that comes in that is a non-seasonally, continuously pyritic patient or you know dog, I, and they have more than 3.1 bowel movements per day, I'm absolutely pushing a diet trial first. The other kind of uh, things that I like to key in on, at least with the GI history, is asking about mucus, borborygamy, belching, flatulence, Mucus tends to be one of the big ones. If you're noticing that, you know, obviously frequency kind of depends, but more than a few times a year, you definitely want to kind of consider a food allergy. With that being said, um, I think roughly speaking, you know, only about 25 to 35% of dogs with food allergies tend to have gastrointestinal signs. So if the gastrointestinal signs are there, it's much 
easier to kind of key in on them, but there's plenty of food allergic dogs that don't have gastrointestinal signs. Part of my research study was kind of establishing what the normal gastrointestinal signs are for apparently healthy dogs and really keyed in on those factors. So Again, the bowel movements per day is a big one that I focus on, as well as mucus, but also, you know, asking a really good GI history, which in dermatology, you don't usually think about asking really good GI history from our patients, but it's something that I've started to key a lot more in. And then once actually getting started on the diet trial, if those GI signs have not resolved or improved within about two weeks, I'm usually changing the diet again. Wow. So I had no idea. That's really interesting about the 3.1 time defecations in a day, because I often use that as a, you know, if your dog's pooping that much, it's a crappy dog food and it has too much fiber and filler. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're noticing that as a potential association with food allergic dogs, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And again, if you have a patient that is non-seasonally continuously pruritic and it has more than 3.1 bowel movements per day, I'm absolutely, you know, pushing and doing a diet trial before I'll even chat with them about out of pee, you know, definitely starting that eight-week diet trial right away. Okay. But of course, not forgetting to always check a fecal sample, which usually dermatologists tend to not do very much of, but it's something that I've been doing since I've been focusing so much more on gastrointestinal signs. So what are a couple other mistakes you see people making or veterinarians making when they start a food trial? Yeah, I think there's a few. I mean, it's so hard to try and convince clients to agree to doing a diet trial, but I think One of the big mistakes or kind of setbacks for owners, which can get them frustrated, is telling them just to change the type of protein source based off of an over-the-counter diet. So there's been uh, studies done looking at foods, even actually some hydrolyzed foods and limited ingredient diets that are prescription-based or even non-prescription-based. And it's been shown that they can find other protein sources in those foods, even though the ingredient list says that it should just be like duck and potato or fish and potato, because there's not a lot of companies out there that, you know, sterilize and clean down their plants and make sure there isn't any contamination. So telling owners to try a bunch of different over-the-counter foods, I think can be very discouraging and frustrating for owners. So if we're really going to try to address a food allergy, I recommend picking a veterinary prescription diet that has done a lot of research looking in and trying to make sure that it has the least amount of contamination of other protein sources possible. Because if you only get one shot at a diet trial, you definitely want to pick a diet that you assume and hope will work. And then the other thing to point out is there isn't really one perfect test diet. Depending on what the dog's allergic to, every diet is going to be different for each patient. So definitely we all as, you know, veterinarians get what we like to use and what are our favorites, but not every patient will react or respond the best to one diet in particular. So that's definitely one of the most common mistakes is I'll have patients come in or clients come in and say that they've tried eight or 10 different types of dog foods with different protein sources and the whole grain-free thing. And they're so frustrated changing diets that they, it takes a lot of convincing to tell them we're going to do another one, but it's different for these reasons. Then I think the other big common mistake when when doing a diet trial is making sure that owners really, really understand the importance of absolutely nothing goes in the mouth but this new food and water and medication. Because even though you'll say that over and over again, they don't actually get it. So we'll get phone calls. Well, can I give fish oil? Can I give the supplements? Am I allowed to use, or I'm using the toothpaste or 
oh, yes, I've been on the diet strict, but, and then you actually ask, well, how do you give the medications? And they'll say in a piece of cheese or rolled up in a pill pocket. Owners don't actually, or clients don't actually realize that the things that they're giving the medications and actually negate the diet trial completely. I've had now twice uh, clients that we definitely know their dog's food allergic and they flare up. And then I found out that the neighbor has been giving the dog milk bones for the last two weeks or the UPS or FedEx driver has come and always brings the treat. And so making sure that everybody is on board is a really big thing. And that includes people not even technically living in the home, but people that are coming over, neighbors, UPS, things like that. Is there also a certain time of the year where you'll implement a food trial over other times? Yeah. So I think that's all definitely is a great question. And I think that's probably clinician dependent and also depends on where you live. So in a place like San Diego, you definitely spring and summer and fall tend to be the the biggest time of atopic flare ups. But there are dogs that are allergic to mold or, you know, dust mite, human dander and cotton that are flaring in the winter as well. But I think as a general rule, winter tends to be the better time to do the diet trial. But sometimes you don't have that option. And sometimes you have to address both the diet trial and the atopy at the same time, which which can be really frustrating. But I will say if I have a patient that comes in that has those gastrointestinal signs that we talked about, I will absolutely be you know pushing for a diet trial first, no matter what time of the year it is. But I know that there are other dermatologists that would say, you know, and I'm I am highly suspicious of a diet trial, but I think we should wait until spring and summer are over because we might miss it. And I think that both are valid, but I tend to not really focus as much on the time of year. I usually say, let's try the diet trial. And if at the end of those eight weeks, which is typically how long I run the diet trial for, if we're unable to get off medications or we don't think the diet has fixed them, we can readdress diet later and focus more on environmental allergies. Okay. So in my own dog, when I first tried him, there was some debate on whether or not to try him on a true anallergenic or hypoallergenic diet versus like a venison and potato. And I ended up going with venison and potato instead. Um, But is there one particular type that you prefer, like a novel protein versus a completely anallergenic type when you're doing food trials? Yeah, I think that it all for me is patient dependent. So if I have an owner that's come in that has owned the dog since eight weeks of age and knows everything that's entered that dog's mouth, and they can assure me that they've never had anything potato related and never, never had anything venison related, then I'll pick venison and potato, especially since that's actually approved for growing. So for a puppy, there's only a few diets out there, venison and potato, uh, Perina HA, Royal Canin HP are some of the few that are only approved for growing puppies. So I'll definitely be pushing those. But if we're talking non-puppy oriented, if I have a owner that brought in a patient and I'm super convinced that they have a food allergy, let's say if they were rescued or were owned as of three years of age and there's no history, I won't, to me, I feel like I won't waste their time putting them on a limited ingredient diet. I'll go straight to hydrolyze just because we really have no idea if they've been exposed to other protein sources before. And typically at this point, at least the patients that I'm seeing, they've all eaten some form of potato at some point. And that's usually what the limited ingredients have in them. I personally am a much bigger fan of the hydrolyzed diets. I've just had a lot more success with them. But if the history fits, I am absolutely fine going to the, one of the potato-based diets. Now, when it comes to cats, I, I will tell you, I really like the rabbit and pea. That's one of my favorite diets to use in cats. 
the hydrolyzed ones are kind of are hit or miss if if cats are willing to eat it. And they're most of the hydrolyzed diets that are for cats still have hydrolyzed chicken. And we've seen it, me personally, I've seen it multiple times that even our very sensitive patients can't even eat the hydrolyzed diets. So I tend to pick more of the limited ingredients for, for feline and versus dogs. I'm definitely pushing more for the hydrolyzed diets. Great. Thank you. That's important information. Now, one more question about my own dog. Of course. So it was really interesting. So when I did the food trial on my own dog and I said to our dermatologist, I was like, yeah, he's a little bit better, but I couldn't tell a dramatic difference. And in Minnesota, we have like a very hard freeze, obviously. So I had started my trial in the winter. And it was interesting when I was speaking with another dermatologist, they're like, no, that's not the way positive food trials are. Positive food trials are like, oh my God, he's so much better on this new diet. And I was just wondering, is it truly that dramatic of an improvement that you would see with a food trial? So again, this is probably like I'm a broken record, but definitely it depends on the patient. So if you have a a dog that is solely food allergic, by the end of those eight weeks, you should be able, you should be seeing a dramatic difference and be able to wean off all of the medications. And then how I diagnose or, you know, fully prove that there is a food allergy is that you challenge, you have the owner challenge back with the food that they were feeding originally and watch for any flare-ups, both in gastrointestinal and pertic behaviors for up to two weeks. Usually a flare will happen within the first few days, but we've seen patients even have reactions up to about 14 days. So if there hasn't been a great improvement with the pruritic behaviors within eight weeks, my question at that point, depending on if there was any GI signs that had resolved was, hey, is this really not the right diet or are we also dealing with atopy? Which again, usually if you have a food allergic dog, they are also environmentally allergic. So it might be that the the food allergy is actually under control with that diet, but because they are still environmental allergies, you don't see that much of a change. And that's where challenging back with the old diet will really help to see if there really was that much of an improvement on the diet itself. Awesome info. What other tips do you want to leave us when it comes to uh, food trialing or uh, food allergic dogs? Yeah, I think definitely it can be very frustrating. So I try to have a long conversation with my owner that you know, this is going to be really frustrating. It's going to be hard for eight weeks to really be super strict on the diet. However, if your dog has a food allergy and we never find it out, you're most likely committing your dog to a lifetime of medication where if we actually found the correct diet, we'd be able to eliminate medications. And I think even, so at least for my diet trials, if there are any sort of gastrointestinal signs, I make sure that we're doing a recall in two weeks to make sure that those gastrointestinal signs have resolved. Then following up and having rechecks at both four weeks and eight weeks, because you never want to actually re-challenge the diet without making sure that there isn't any skin infections or any other issues going on. Because if your patient has a pyoderma or yeast dermatitis or Um, you know, some sort of otitis happening at the end of the diet trial, you might miss that the food was actually helping because we never addressed the secondary infection. So client, you know, education and communication, you know, handouts if if people are willing to do them, because I know in, in, in the, you know, primary veterinary world, you don't have a ton of time to talk to your patients. So even creating like a little video online, but so much of it is client education and then getting a really, really good detailed food history before ever starting a diet trial because you, a lot of times you only get one opportunity to do it. And so you really want to make sure you're picking the best diet 
before you get that owner to do it. Because if you only get one shot, you want to make sure you're picking the best diet based off the patient's history. Awesome. Thank you so much. Fantastic information. I know uh, when I talk to a lot of people, they're, they definitely make, and I made the same mistakes with food trialing my own dog because he loves milk bones. But anyway, <laughs> uh, thank it you. It can so, be very frustrating. It is, it is so hard because I, our internist always yells at us saying, you know, dogs don't need treats. And as a veterinarian, as a pet owner, we always end up It's really treats. hard. Yeah. So it's really, it was a really good empathetic lesson for me for treating Durham patients, especially those that come to the ER. One thing that I have found really helpful for owners, because they always want to give treats. So I'll tell them that they should clean their treat jar, like treat jar or whatever they're putting their treats in and fill it with the new kibble that we're feeding. Most likely it's a dry kibble and just use the pebbles themselves as treats. Because it's a lot of times the act of giving a treat versus the actual treat that we're giving. And I have found that owners really appreciate that um, they can do it. I've even told owners to, if we are using canned food, they can slice up the canned food and bake little biscuits out of their own canned food. They can use that as treats or taking kind of the kibble, smashing it up, making it into a little putty. They can bake that or, you know, giving them something as an option, but with still using that diet. And I have found that to be really successful. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you. And then my last question is, what if you have a dog that's so pertic? Can you actually use Apoquil or even steroids while they're on their food trial? Absolutely. And that's usually what I am doing. So to ask a patient that is incredibly pertic to be incredibly pertic for eight weeks until usually the skin kicks in is, is not, is, you're not going to have happy clients or happy patients. And so Absolutely. Apoquil, Atopica, steroids are 100% okay while doing a diet trial. But what I will do at the end of my diet trial, so after the eight weeks, I will try to wean the pet off the medications first. I would ideally never challenge a diet if we're still on medications for our food allergies. With that being said, it can also become fairly tricky because if you're also treating atopy or environmental allergies and you're on the patients on medications for those, you have to be a little careful to see if you're actually going to have a flare up with the new diet. But usually I try to taper the medications to the lowest effective dose. And if we're solely going on medication for a dog that I really believe is 100% food allergic, I will try to taper the medications before I ever challenge the diet at the end of those eight weeks. So if you were going to leave uh, veterinarians with some advice, do you try to avoid those drugs in the last week, like the seventh to eighth week? No, I, I think it kind of depends. So usually what I do is I'll have a patient come in for the eight-week recheck. I make sure there isn't any infection. Every, the skin is looking fabulous, that we've actually corrected the problems that were there. And then I'll have them start to taper the medication. If you're able to put in a call around six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, and the owner reports that the dog is doing absolutely fabulous, then at that point, absolutely start to taper the steroids. Try to give Apical every other day. See you can do it a little early, but I will wait that full eight weeks because if even at week six or seven and you try to taper the medication and the, the dog becomes more pritic, I still would want to give the diet a full eight weeks. So after those eight weeks, I would then try to start to taper the medication. And if I can't, then I would wonder, one, do we need to change diets again or are we missing atopy and we're, you know, should be focusing on other parts besides diet? Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Blessing. That was a fantastic podcast. I know 
veterinarians always have questions about derm and itchy dogs and food trials and I really appreciate uh, all your advice. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it as well.